The Brooklyn Vegan Show is a podcast about music brought to you by the music blog and online record store Brooklyn Vegan. Make sure to subscribe to hear all of our upcoming episodes featuring interviews with musicians and more, and find us 24-7 at brooklynvegan.com, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Hey, welcome back to the Brooklyn Vegan Show. I'm BV editor Andrew Sacker, and today's episode is an interview with the band Knapsack. For the uninitiated, Knapsack were initially around between 1993 and 2000, during which time they released three fantastic records. I personally discovered Knapsack in the early 2000s after they'd already broken up and singer Blair Sheehan was doing his equally great band, The Jealous Sound, and Knapsack were just instantly an influential, important band. This was the era of the emo boom of the 2000s, and so much of what was going on at that point was directly inspired by Knapsack and the music they put out in the 90s. Uh, These records have continued to hold up so well and continue to influence new bands. And actually, one of the reasons we're having this conversation is because Knapsack finally gave long-awaited vinyl reissues to each one via Spartan Records. 1995 Silver Sweepstakes, 1997's Day 3 of My New Life, and 1998's This Conversation is Ending, starting right now. And Brooklyn Vegan is thrilled to have teamed with the band on exclusive color vinyl variants of each one. You can get them in our store, shop.brooklynvegan.com. They're all limited to 300 copies each, so get them while they last. I first saw Knapsack when they did a reunion tour in 2013. I saw them twice. They were awesome both times. And I really hope they come back again because they were just, they were so great live and their music continues to have, its legacy is not done being written. And I think they could really, they could really do great if they do another tour. I asked them about the possibility of more shows as well as more music. We also talk about the book accompanying the reissues that features commentary from peer bands like Mineral, Christy Front Drive, Boys Life, Knapsack talked about how they got to know and befriend those bands and how they've stayed such great friends with them over the years. We talk a lot about the word emo, what exactly it means, what it means to different people, how its definition changed over time. It was a real treat to sit down with Blair, drummer Colby Mancasola, and guitarist Sergi Lubkoff, also of Sam I Am, who just announced their first album in 12 years very recently. These three had as much chemistry bouncing off each other in this conversation as they do making music, and it was just a blast, so I'm really excited for you to hear it. But first, a word about our sponsor, DistroKid, a service for musicians that allows you to easily upload your music to all major streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Music, and more. DistroKid allows you to do automatic revenue splits so collaborators and co-writers can get paid too. It provides you with an artist page that links to your music on all streaming services. It allows you to add lyrics, credits, and liner notes, and more. You can get 30% off of your first year's membership by signing up at distrokid.com slash VIP slash Brooklyn Vegan. We've also included the link in the description of this episode, and you can click directly from there. Here's our interview with Knapsack. So, hey guys, what's going on? What's up? Hey. So we got we three it. of us, so just to kind of put names to voices, whoever wants to just kind of say their name before we begin. The squeaky voice is Sergi. This voice is Blair. Authoritative one, Blair. I'm the authoritative sorry. voice. Leadership voice. Also sensitive genius. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm Colby. We are talking about knapsack reissues. Um, I, I was reading an interview on punk news when, uh, y'all reunited about 10 years ago now, 
Uh, I think Blair it was you who said that there was record label logistics uh, since then. So what uh, what changed? What finally made these long-awaited vinyl reissues, of which uh, Brooklyn Vegan is very stoked to be part of? Uh, we have the the three color variants in our shop. Um, so yeah, what uh, what finally made these reissues come to be? You know, to be honest, I think this, I would rather let Colby field this question because he was more involved with it than I was. There, you know, it was just sort of um, a challenging task to find a partner to work with Alias who uh, had the originals. Um, and Colby was more involved with that than I was. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I would say all of that. And because our old label is not really active anymore, um they just don't really want to deal with shit like this and and um and if they are the i guess the terms of the deal aren't going to be all that agreeable so no one's i mean no one's getting rich in knapsack land anyway but but um no one's getting rich off these reissues uh either and i think finding john at spartan was um like finally finding someone who was like willing to do it for the love of the game sort of and um and and just because he wanted to be part of it um and so i think i think that was sort of what pushed it through that's awesome um now these are coming sort of so much you guys haven't played live since 2015 um have you talked at all about shows to support the reissues we we actually might have played later because we play I, we probably went past midnight on new year's eve at some <laughs> we did, yeah. Minutes, minutes into 2016. I don't want to like fact check to death everything or nitpick to death, but let's get this right. All right. All right. So my my mistake. Nabsack right. may have played as recently as 2016. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you're all back together. We're here on a Zoom together. Are that you know, are there talks of you know band practice, live shows? There hasn't been any talk. I think um and you guys can, can correct me if I've got the wrong take on this. Um, nobody's necessarily opposed to doing it. We sort of, I think, when we got back together, it was more interesting for us to do things that maybe we hadn't done before. Um, so that was sort of um, a lot of fun to do new experiences, things we hadn't done before, had some, some chances to play some things or go places we hadn't been. So I think after we did all those things, we sort of became, um, if something seemed redundant or we'd already just done it or whatever, it didn't make a ton of sense to just go do it again for no particular good reason. So to my mind, if something came up that was sounded like a, like a ton of fun or we could go do something that was really cool, maybe have a new experience, um, I would totally be down for it. Um, at least, at least on my end, um, but who knows? You could you have to check with these two. Yeah, I feel the same way, and uh, go ahead, Serge. Oh no, I don't. You talk. I was just gonna say I feel the same way. Um, we don't. None of us live in the same city, so that's it. We all live in California, but it's a little bit challenging. And when we did that stuff before, um, Gel Sound had just sort of um, stopped being active. Sam I Am wasn't all too active at the time, although that picked up a little bit. Um, Eddie, who has played bass with us most recently, um, was on hiatus with Thrice. And so it was a little bit of a perfect 
non-storm to have there be some knapsack activity to squeak through. And that's a little more challenging now. Thrice is super active. Sam I Am has a new record coming out. Um, so there are just boring adult logistical issues that get in the way. But I'm, I'm with Blair. I'm down if it felt like the right thing and um, would be fun and, and maybe a new experience. I think for me is that like, well, I think, I think we were really good uh, and put a lot of effort into being really good in 2003 and the subsequent like two and a half or whatever, three years. That's 2013, Mr. Fact Checker. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got me, Um And say we just wanted to do one show or two shows, it's like, I, I'd be like, well, we've got to do all that work that took us to get to the point where we were as good as we were in 2013 for that one show instead of all those other shows that we did, right? So it would take a little bit of a commitment, I think, on our part. And like, you know, like me and Blair had a band after uh, and uh, Blair's voice was tip top shape uh, ending around 2008 or 18, sorry. And uh, he'd have to like work on that too. I mean, not to speak for him. Uh, I mean, I just did, but uh, it would just take a lot of effort and stuff. So it have, for me, I, I, if you guys would have to say, yeah, hell yeah, let's practice the shit out of this first, which is like a kind of a big commitment. For sure. Well, I think, you know, for me, my first knapsack shows were the reunion run. Um, I was a little young the first time around. Um, so it's, it's for one, it's wild to think that that's now 10 years ago. Um, right. But there must be, especially with like these reissues probably attracting attention, there's probably a whole new generation of people discovering knapsack. That's, the, that's, the, that's our motto. We just like eventually like we just keep waiting and waiting and waiting each year we just get 10 new fans you know the next year <laughs> 10 new fans so that's really been the approach to this if we can just keep waiting and waiting and slowly slowly just you know incrementally tiny little baby steps you know when we cross like 50 years it'll be really good you know it's gonna be yeah. really good fan base it's gonna be we're really gonna be doing like arena tours in like the 2070s yeah but yeah but cryogenically it'll be fantastic we could do the hologram thing real well back, back then. Up then, really young, and we're gonna have, we're gonna be hairy bastards. Yeah, long, yeah. long hair. I'm gonna have a pink afro. <laughs> Fantastic. Knapsack hologram Coachella 2070. Well, I think it would be great if, if if maybe one of us had passed, and it would be like two of us, and then one hologram. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, is isn't that, that like kind of what the isn't that like what the Dio tour is? Isn't it like members of his band, but then he's the hologram, I think? It's fantastic. I think it's, a, <laughs> I, I, it keeps it real. You know, you don't have just all one hologram of the band. You have actual physical beings there. Yeah. I, I will say um, when I, I went to the last Paul McCartney tour and it was like, they had used like, cause you know, they, did you guys watch Get Back? Mm-hmm. Um, so they had like taken isolated John Lennon vocals from the rooftop performance and then Paul sang with John and then they like put Yeesh. like sort of a John thing on. And it was like kind of nice, I have to say, like all things considered. It wasn't as corny as I thought it might be when I heard it was going to happen. 
I have an idea, actually. Since we we aren't like a stadium band, what if we just played like we'll play at the forum and we'll have hologram audience to make us feel better that it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, flip the script. We'll yeah. do it now. We're doing this now. Um, when I was, uh, you know, sort of preparing for the podcast, I was reading back over the review I wrote of the musical of Williamsburg show that Knapsack did in 2013. Um, and Blair, you had said that night on stage something like, if someone would have told me in the 90s that we'd be doing this in 2013 and you'd all be here, I would have been like, fuck you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, just, you know, now another 10 years since then, I mean, and Knapsack fans are still climbing. Like, it's, I feel like you've had this story of like, I mean, probably most Knapsack fans came to the band post-breakup. Is that, do you think, accurate to say? I would probably, you know, it was never, you know, the trajectory of the band, like we started and, you know, we were really, uh, we really weren't that great, you know? <laughs> like, that's just a fact. It's like, we weren't a great live band. We weren't great, you know, we didn't know how to record. Sort of the beginning stages were not fantastic. And it's sort of, Right, we, right as we kind of reached that midpoint, then we, we sort of we found our feet a little bit. And then um, then it wasn't that long from there that the band wrapped up. So it really wasn't, you know, to be a viable band and tour and do all the stuff and record and kind of keep that, you know, uh, conveyor belt going of just being a band and, you know, doing all those things. We weren't on that seriously very long you know so it would have been tough to really gather a big group of uh interested people for the band at that point so you know then record all these things uh the, have the, these recordings and these records and a lot of time and crazy essential distribution which is the internet so it's everywhere if you want it um and then sort of a uh a collective group of bands from that time that people look back upon fondly, you know? So you kind of minted those bands at those times, part of those scenes, um, you know, and all boats rise, you know? Mm -hmm. And we're one of those boats. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, right, like uh, I think Knapsack being associated with emo was like a big thing for my generation like because we I kind of came to that genre of music when it was really popular in the 2000s and then you know somebody will say like oh these bands are all influenced by Knapsack and Mineral and Christy Front Drive and stuff and so then it's like there's this instant legendary status to these bands who kind of had only broken up a few years earlier but like didn't get to benefit from that sort of fame era um, with Knapsack kind of, and, and you, you started the Jealous Sound, of course, in that time, but with, when Knapsack ended, was there any feeling of like, this stuff is rising or like, were you almost taken by surprise when all of a sudden that word was everywhere and people were citing Knapsack as like sort of these forebears to this huge moment in pop culture? I feel like it got, it got worse before it got I mean, I don't think we were ever like, nice to meet you, we're an emo band, but I think like there was reason to sort of want to shed that. I will, I will, I will make, I'm going to make, 
Uh, can I make a, 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 a throw in a little anecdote here? Um, sure. So I remember when I think it was either the second record or the third record was coming out on Alias, and we were working on the bio, and it was I remember I we were working on the bio for the band, and I came it, in a discussion. It was like we wanted people to know that we were part of the scene, but we didn't want it to seem like we were just like an emo band, so to speak. So I remember coming up with the verbiage in the bio saying, you know, not just an emo band or something to that extent in that bio to sort of just lead people down that path to have an understanding because we were sort of on Alias Records, which wasn't you know, a group of bands that all made sense and people would go one-stop shop for these bands that they liked, knew that you know, it wasn't like, know, a was like something like Jade Tree Records at that time. We're like, oh, that band's going to be like this. And this is probably going to be something I'm going to like. We were just on this sort of outlier label. Um, so we weren't like, it took a minute for people to figure that out, I think. So there you go. Yeah. I feel like emo too. It's, uh, by the time emo was like a household name, what they were referring to from emo is different than what like we think of emo or what knapsack participated into into so even though it's, it's nice to be like mentioned in the same breath as like you know get up kids or sunny day or uh promise ring or text reason or whatever it you never know who what you're talking about when you're talking to a person and they say those three letters right mm -hmm. they might be saying oh, i freaking freaking love emo i'm the most emo everyone and it's like he means that swoopy hair and makeup like i hit my parents hot topic thing right so it's like i think if we stay well i guess jellison had to go through that because all through all all through uh jellison's to that 2000s probably yeah. where she dropping the emo word and and you know if i was blair i'd be like oh no we're a rock band you know i, I mean i would have been at that point you know I, think, I always think of metal and I always think about how everybody embraced metal and we're just like, fuck it. Yeah, we're the like we're so metal that our, our band name is Metallica or that this record is called Metal Up Your Ass. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. no one in metal ever shied away from the label. They're like, yeah, that's exactly what this is. Let's go. And we're like the most extreme version of it. I don't feel like anyone ever really sort of maybe later with like the hot I, I think I think the 2000s but, people did. And that's the problem. One of the that's when you had the uh the, i mean it, i mean you had like the emo diaries and things like that those that mm -hmm. compilation like you know yeah. essentially that's emo up your ass but but in emo street you know emo <laughs> diaries you know what I mean? so uh, so uh it's like with anything though it's like with re religion or anything like if you have like a thing that's uh meant to be sort of an outlier kind of like outside of the norm thing like jesus might you might consider him and then suddenly all these other people change it into like oh this is the cool kids thing everybody loves jesus this is jesus 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 right and we want to talk about what jesus is and what it means to us whatever and it's the same thing with emo it's like certain people are like that's not emo this is emo and emo emo and i got this flag and over here and blah 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 and we were the exact opposite we we're just like well hey or it's like like being a uh, like a, a Taoist or something like that, where it's like if you can explain what what Taoism is, then you don't actually know what it is, right? Or if you can define it. Yeah. I think or it, um, I would never want to be part of a club that would have me as a member. Yeah, the uh, uh, I always think that. when we when you start talking about you know uh, 
parsing through the emo, like whatever. I always think of that, you know, the the Simpsons character, the guy at the comic book shop, you know what I mean? Who's like the authority on all things and like, oh no, 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 you know, it's very uh I mean I mean that's some nerdy shit, you know what I mean? Like getting into like worrying about that to me, like uh I also remember we played this benefit show for KXLU, the college radio station, and it was us, Get Up Kids, when they, I think maybe their first record had just come out, Jimmy World, No Knife, I forget who, probably Jejun. Swing, swing Kids, right? Or no, Strictly Ballroom. Yeah, probably, yep. And um, I forget who I was with standing outside the club, and we saw Lou Barlow from Dinosaur Jr. go in, and we, and you know, I mean, a, if you had to pick like a small handful of bands that we all would agree on, Dinosaur Jr. would definitely be toward the top of that. And um, he literally is in the club for like 30 seconds, walks back out and we overhear him say, oh, I didn't know it was going to be that kind of music. <laughs> I was so like crestfallen. Oh man. Well, I think I think Lou Barlow has come back around because I think he starred in a recent Get Up Kids video. I saw that. Yeah, hey, come on, bro. Like, I mean, let's get real though. Like there, like there ain't nobody more emo than fucking Lou Barlow. That guy has exactly. got big, big feelings in yeah. his music. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. going to be, you know, he's like, now I know what it feels like to be dead or something like that about like some breakup. Who really really heavy, heavy duty feeling for the dude. So uh, I, don't, I don't know if Barlow knows what he's talking about when he's talking about music. Well, that's the thing, right? I think like there are so many bands who could have easily gotten called it, but escaped it. Like Super Chunk could have easily been called Emo or like Built to Spill or Archers of Loaf who were on Alias with you guys. Like, I, I feel like all if, if, if someone would have spun it that way, they could have been taken as Emo. And like a lot of the bands we're talking about could have been taken as indie rock if just like, you know, I don't know, the media spun it differently or something. Um, but I think it's also revisionist history that the other side is like, I feel like nowadays a lot of people who don't actually know how maybe lame they might be, I'm lame that I'm, they, I might think they are, but they consider uh, Third Eye Blind to be one of the original emo bands. Have you ever heard people talking? I, yeah, no, I've heard that, that, that they kind of get them. called that. <laughs> It's what Blair said, though. This is all, we're in the thick of it ourselves, but it's just this big nerdy uh, conversation that, like, uh, most people like that are have ha- half a brain would rather not get into. <laughs> Whereas yeah. other people, I say, but guess what? We just talked about it for twenty minutes. Yeah, so, I know. I know. Jokes on us. That's, a, that's my point. But people with <laughs> without a brain, they just like try to search out this conversation, and then emo. Like, like magic the gathering or something i don't know what's going on but uh you know you know <laughs> it's one of those things that's so nuanced that you have to be like part of the deal to know what the deal is and you know it's just a funky funny you know silly business that young people like to get into about music and identity you know yeah. Uh, that's what that's what you do. You get into music and identity, and so much identity comes from what your choice of music is, especially when you're young. You know, um, that's how you define yourself. Yeah, 
And I mean, you know, the problem is you have me here and I'm one of those nerds you're talking about. So, <laughs> oh my uh, goodness. That, that conversation is just going to build on what Blair was saying. He's like, there's just like hurting feelings. Oh my God. <laughs> no, no. It's just, I, I, you know, I, these conversations are fun for me. Um, and it's like I said before, like, I think it's like a blessing and a curse because, yeah, everybody has always tried to escape that word in the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s. I'm sure there are bands today even that are still like, don't call us that. Um, but I don't think it's as... But I think, you know, what's interesting is like, you figure, you know, you start in like punk rock or what have you, and you're screaming about like society or the government or doing whatever punk rock shit, right? So then you move on from that and then... Um, you can do, you know, like, like brainy art rock and you can be pavement or talking heads or whatever, do some sort of, you know, variation on that kind of stuff, like, you know, college, cerebral, you know, arty, or you can do rock music. And what the fuck are you going to sing about except for like your personal shit? You know what I mean? Uh, either you're going to do that kind of stuff. You can't do punk rock stuff anymore. So kind of as you become of age at that time, you know, you try to be clever, try to tell stories through songwriting, um, you know, song craft. But a lot of it boils down, especially because at that time, especially in like early 20s, you know, you think you know everything, but you know absolutely nothing. You have this sort of weird mix of, um, you know, insecurity and ego all at the same time. Um, you know, one masks the other. Um, and voila, emo. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's kind of the channel that happens, I think, particularly for, you know, for men of that age, which is predominantly what, you know, who makes emo. I, I gotta go. I gotta go. But uh, thanks a lot, Andrew, for uh, thinking of us to do this. I really appreciate it. I don't want to, like, uh, leave and make you feel like I'm blowing it off or anything, but I totally appreciate that you did this. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. Bye, guys. Bye, I like you guys in little rectangles. It's fun to talk to you. In <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say earlier, one thing yeah. that, I think, that book that comes with the box set, one thing that I think came across in that um, and I, that we were hoping would and I, and, and I think does is how those bands that we've been talking about, like we didn't find each other or become friends and want to play together because someone on the internet said we all sounded alike or had the same influences or whatever. You sort of, we all sort of came across each other because we weren't, you know, we had sort of a similar idea about things, a similar sort of like mu musical vision or aesthetic. And, you know, we weren't doing like the popular thing at the time, whether that be new metal or or pop punk or whatever else and so i'm glad that those guys were able to contribute and um sort of tell the story of how we all kind of stumbled upon each other whatever three letters you want to use to describe that thing for sure yeah um well why don't you tell us a little bit about how you feel like you stumbled upon bands like you know mineral boys life christy front drive i think um yeah, we played, you know, you would just, somebody would put these shows together and you would go and you would meet them for that first time and play that show. And I think that there is a particular, like there's a musical swing that happens 
And there is a particular swing um, with these bands of the way that they uh, do their deals. So, I mean, like just their presence as human beings, you know, they're, you know, uh, jokers, shit talkers, like whatever, you know, this music can seem really serious, but everyone's totally ridiculous and like funny and irreverent and all these sort of, uh, sort of charismatic characters to kind of roll through. And then, you know, inevitably that's going to be someone you want, you, you want to hang out with because it's a lot of fun, you know, <laughs> like those guys, those guys were a lot of fun to be around mm-hmm. because we could speak the sort of same language, I guess. Um, I don't know why it is that way, um, but it just kind of was. Yeah, when you're like spending the night at a rest stop in a van, <laughs> those are the types of things that you really appreciate, right? Because it's not like you're looking around going like, you know, what? Oh, I, I really have things figured out. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just played in Des Moines on a Tuesday night uh, to the bartender and opening bands. And, uh, you know, now I'm going to sleep in a van on the side of the road. So, you know, but we found ways to make it fun on top of when the music aspect was fun, which was all, you know, did happen. Um, But, you know, you at the end of the day, you want to spend time with people that you sort of, you know, find interesting or smart or funny or charming or whatever. And and for us, those were those people. Yeah, they were just... Those folks in the bands that we talk about, they're, you know, witty and sharp. And, uh, you know, like I said, like, just, it's like, they can make you laugh. And it's fun to be around that, you know, and snide remarks about what's going on and being funny or, and noticing the same things and finding those things, the, the ridiculousness of it all. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, it's, uh, I can still talk to a lot of those people to this day and we still get still you you slip into that pocket with them really quickly yeah we we showed up to we checked into a hotel the night before we were playing um a festival in, in belgium and sure enough like look over at the the hotel bar and there are the mineral guys and i personally hadn't seen him for probably 20 years maybe blair more often because he was touring with the jealous sound um and you know you just slip right into it like no time has passed yeah that's awesome. I'm pretty sure when I saw Knapsack at Fun 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 Fest, I think you were like back to back with Mineral. Yeah. Um, yeah, we played yeah. same stage. Our yeah. Whole, uh, trailers were next to each other. But it was like you know, Mineral, Knapsack, John Waters. That was the order of the trailer. <laughs> nice. But, I, you know, but, and, you know, but they also were people that I, I um, you know, they're funny, but they're also like genuinely warm and good people and were, when nobody had anything would share the things that we did have sort of communally in, in nice ways. So there was no, um, you know, I think I've saw things later in life as I played music and people were a little more self-serving, um, a little, you know, and it's all, it was also kind of staggering to me having been, you know, kind of on this constant, you know, from 90, whatever, through 2000 and whatever, kind of see things like shift and grow and whatever. Um, but, you know, things became, I think particularly like in the early 2000s, there was this weird sort of celebration of this sort of, uh, you know, 
more of the decadent side of rock and roll, you know, that kind of snuck into stuff. Um, and it was a little more like self-serving, what's in it for us, like kind of this sort of shitty um, uh, thing that, that, and also like this like wild self-promotion, which was also really shocking things to me because everything was so understated when we first started. You wouldn't dream of like, you know, tuning your own horn so loudly or like, look at me or, or promoting yourselves and all those things. It was so casual and you didn't really do that. So the way that people promote now um, is just really wild, was a really wild sort of shift to watch happen, you know, having been there from that point and then moving it all the way through. And I would imagine like part of that had to come from the fact that like major labels were all of a sudden interested in this stuff. And there was like a real market for success, which like, you know, didn't really exist for this kind of music um, outside of, I don't know, Green Day or something. Um, did did Knapsack ever get like major label offers? Yeah, there was some stuff that kind of got bandied about. And, you know, everybody, you know, particularly like, around that like mid nineties time, you know, things were happening in that way all over the place. So there was always interest in chatter and you'd go to dinners and do different stuff or play a thing for whoever or whatever. Um, we had signed up with Alias and that was just kind of our contract, you know, and then we didn't really pursue beyond, we sort of had a self-destruct date. So we weren't really, you know, doing all the things the band would need to do to kind of keep that interest going. Um, but everyone, I mean, that was certainly, you know, that was in the air with all bands at that time. And it was a new thing where, you know, minor league, you know, players, you know, were looking at joining the major league players, you know, and that was sort of a new phenomenon that had just really taken hold in like, you know, yeah. alternative rock or what have you. So it everyone was weird. Really... it was also sort of a weird like there there was still, I guess, some of that post Nirvana stuff happening, like Blair was talking about. But at the same time, right around the time we broke up is when like Jimmy World got dropped from Capitol. So it didn't I certainly didn't see like um it didn't feel like, oh, this whole like all our friends' bands are everything's escalating and we're just sort of jumping off the ride. It sort of felt like a fizzle out period um, for a minute there. Um, but then, you know, Jimmy World had the number one song in the country and at the drive and sold a million records. So um, yeah, maybe it was a calm before the storm. I don't know exactly what happened, but I don't remember thinking like, it just sort of felt like all our friends' bands were breaking up and, and we, and it, Generally, there was a thing that had run its course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Sometimes I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, the special bands that have the kind of all the components that they need to, to like keep leveling up, you know, they just have that thing, it works and they build careers one way or another, you know what I mean? Whether it's through major or like doing their thing on an indie and continually building and building, but you have to tend to your, you know, tend to your shop, do your shit, keep your, keep it tight, you know, 
and you have to continue to like grow and do all this stuff. You know, you can't just, uh, it's not, those bands don't succeed by accident, you know? For sure. You know, when, when, for example, when you kind of did see like something like Jimmy Eat World blew up like that, I mean, Blair, when you were doing the Jealous Sound, um, did you have any kind of, were you wondering at all, like if, you know, one of these songs could be like, because I mean, I feel like that record is certainly catchy enough. Um, yeah, you know, that's an interesting question, you know. Huh. Um, you know, obviously I'm biased. I wrote this one, <laughs> so I really, you know, some of them I think are great. And some of them I wonder like, holy shit, how did I come up with that? That's really cool. Or, you know, because it all just comes from wherever, you know? So, you know, yeah. you, you just kind of, you know, it's, you kind of just receive it and you hope for the best, you know, you can work really hard on something and get really crappy results, or you can just receive something really easily. And it's a genius little nugget of, of a song. And I think that happens to all writers. Um, and, you know, we had Tim O'Hare record that record. And I think he did a great job with it. And he had done great, you know, like super drag records and, uh, you know, it's great. And there's a million different reasons, you know. I, I don't know, you know, yeah, you know. Uh, and there's a certain element of magic dust that falls on stuff, you know. Um, right place, right time, you know, being prepared at that right place and right time, you know. Um, maybe we weren't, you know, who knows? Um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know. I wish, um, mm. I don't really have any, and then I often think about, oh my, holy shit, what if I had gotten something larger at that time in my life? And I think about how, how you know, how squirrely I might have been, you know, and how poorly I may have handled it. So that's an interesting, I, I'll, I'll often think about myself at that time and my understandings of the world and, you know, who I was and <laughs> what I would have done or, 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 or mishandled, you know, some success. Because um, that happens really easily, you know, <laughs> and you don't, it's hard to see your way out of that stuff when you're in the sort of eye of the storm, you know? So, um, I don't know, you know, I think, you know, as I look back, you know, my sort of definition of success has sort of changed maybe, you know, I, I'm much more, you know, doing Snapchat stuff for the band or so on and so forth. I'm much more sort of legacy oriented at this point, you know, mm -hmm. that there are still people that are interested in it are still, you know, that it's still kicking up a little bit of dust, you know, years later, I guess, you know? Well, I mean, I think that's like always been, or at least for a long time, been like, you know, one of the great things about Knapsack and why I think like it's awesome that there's finally these reissues because uh, it just feels, and I hope this comes off the right way because I don't mean it backhanded or anything, but it feels like one of those, like there's always been untapped potential with, I think, you know, Knapsack because um, you listen to those 90s records and I still think they sound like, they could have come out in 03 and might have been hits if they did. And so right. I feel like there's like, you can see the way it helped kind of pave the path for some of the stuff that did get super popular. And I always feel like maybe music fans who missed out on Knapsack the first time around, 
they'll listen to those records and they're like, oh, like this is right up my alley. I totally see it. And it just seems like there's still this sort of like they could even continue to grow, even though the records themselves have been set right. in stone for years. You know, I think, you know, if you if you make something or you create art or whatever it is with the right ingredients, right? You know, whatever those ingredients, you know, you know, like cooking, I you know, sort of a cooking analogy. If you use good stuff or whatever the thing is, and you have at least, you know, a partially uh it's always difficult in a band because, you know, it's like art and commerce, like come together. And, you know, most people are full of shit when they say they don't want to be a gigantic rock band when they aren't a rock band, because that's part of the allure of the whole thing, you know? So, uh, you know, it's never exactly a pure artistic endeavor because you're kind of swinging through the fences at the same time. Um, uh, but if you have, you know, if you take it seriously and, you get lucky with, you know, the right person, you know, to like, you know, lend a hand with, you know, producing, recording the records and so forth and help you, especially when you're younger and learning, you know, um, they can teach you some things, some discernment about, you know, this or that or what have you. Um, you know, you, you'll end up with something that, you know, uh, can stick around and people are still interested in, you know, and, you know, granted I hear, you know, uh, wrong turns and youthful mistakes and things that I wouldn't do now or whatever, but that's part of the charm of the whole damn thing, you know, I guess for people, you know. I also think the entertainment business is a really unique thing where everything but insane household name, global domination success is a is a failure and i think in in almost every other sort of creative endeavor or business or whatever you know if 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 you met a winemaker and he said yeah it's going really well you know it's like people all over the world enjoy my wine and um you know i made this bottle of wine 25 years ago that people are still talking about and you know it's like they're posting on the internet about it every day. And some people have tattoos about it. Like all, you would go, wow, like that must be like really fulfilled, creatively fulfilling. And you know, what a success you've been as a winemaker, but mm -hmm. like if you're in a rock band that makes three records, does a little bit of touring, not every night is a line down the street. People are sort of like, oh yeah, uh, you were in that failed rock band. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> well, okay. Um, that's one way to look at it, but it's, it's, it's in, and maybe I looked at that, looked at it that way for like the first couple of years after. And, you know, um, and I, when I was like in my twenties, but, but however many years later, like I, I only see like the positives of it. And I only think of like how lucky we were to just get to do the shit we got to do. And, and I don't really focus on um, this idea that like, by joining a rock band, you're signing up for this situation where like anything short of a million records is a failure. I just, I just don't really sort of buy into that anymore. Well, at what point did it start to become clear to you? Like, oh, there's enough people who still care about us that if we reunite, we're going to play bigger shows than we played on that last tour. I, it was never clear to me. I was like, <laughs> I had to be like, they had to kind of trick me into doing it. I was like, oh man, I do not. I am not in the mood 
to be made a fool of. You know what I mean? Or somebody that thinks that they're too big for their britches or there's a demand here. So I was very cautious about re-entering uh, the knapsack world because um, you don't know and you don't want to be like, hey, we're back, you know, crickets, tumbleweeds, who gives a fuck, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. get out of here. You're like, we didn't, we didn't need you back, you know? So that was my take. Um, but yeah. luckily it all worked out just fine. Yeah, yeah. That was a little bit scary, you know? Um, we played, the first two shows we played were in California. And so, you, you know, it's like LA, San Francisco, those are Blair and I's somewhat home, you know, they were kind of, if we're a local band, a local band anywhere, we're kind of a local band in those places, even though we're not, but it's the closest thing we have to that. And then we went out and we played Fest and we were playing, um, I think, Cold Enough to Break, which is like, our slow jam, right? I mean, it has sleigh mm-hmm. bells in it. Um, and I remember looking out and someone was like crowd surfing to like our slowest jam. And I was like, all right, this is probably going to be okay then. Yeah, you know, like it. this, is, I think we're going to be okay here. It's good. Look, hey, you know, like I said, we got swooped up and everybody, you know, and you can have this conversation with any number of other bands that we played with during that time. And they'd probably to some degree or another experience exact same resurgence or interest that we have experienced as well. So we're not unique in that regard. Um, it really is a body of, of work and of bands that were like-minded at that time that all sort of share in the same interest of the stuff that was you know, done at that time, you know? So it's cool and um, you know, most stuff just gets like, you know, maybe it's a little bit popular or whatever. Who knows? Like a song on the radio for a little hot minute or what have you. Nobody gives a fuck anymore. So it's nice to have your work recognized as part of something um, that people still find some, you know, relevance to their lives, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Did, did you have... somewhat reassuring. It's like, um, you know, at, at some point... When Blair and I were in our 20s and you're still figuring everything out and, you know, thinking, well, this is how I see the world, but maybe I'm wrong or crazy. And we chose to make the music that we made. And we were surrounded by like tough guys in track suits singing about the nookie. And so you're, <laughs> you know, you're kind of like, am I crazy? When was, what years that? I, don't even, I don't have any perspective anymore. Like what, what years were the, was that? That was at the end of the nineties, wasn't it? That was ninety nine, I think. Oh yeah, yeah you're right. You're, that was around that time. The but year again, we played you know, like a couple shows on the Warp Tour. But, but yeah, but that, but, you know, was about, but that was a whole other fucking world. Like that, yeah. like world of that stuff. Like that is mm-hmm. something I would have never like. I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. This is ridiculous. You know, even then I knew it was ridiculous. Totally. You know, that that world. Um, but, but when someone at the label would say like, oh, that radio station is not going to play you after all. And you're like, really? Okay, what are they playing instead? And it would be shit like not. that. Wasn't, 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 you know, wasn't the finest moment, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, like, obviously in, in like, you know, hindsight is 2020 for people when you see that stuff and like, oh my God, you know, whatever. You know, that's not your, that's your embarrassing class photo, you know. Mm-hmm. Although Limp Bizkit still enormously popular in Germany, 
I think they're probably they're probably like here know, too. But you know, <laughs> but you know, and even like even their giant, even that a band like that, like a, a show that would be a giant failure to them would still be a giant success to us. Right. Like you keep it in perspective. And then this came and played wherever, there would still be a fuck ton of people that would come out and see them that would be way more than our biggest night, you know, even on their worst night to this right. day. I mean, they just played Madison Square Garden like a few months ago. <laughs> so 20, Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I was surprised. I honestly, if you would have asked me, like, can Limbiscuit still do the garden in 2022? I'd be like, probably not. But they did. So, right. Yeah. So um, then, like, if you get lucky too, you know, enough time passes for certain things and it, it'll, it, it can, you know, it's really tough on the way, like, on that sort of arc when it's like riding high and then it drops. Like, right around that zone, it's really tough, you know. Mm -hmm. But as the time passes and then people look back fondly and enough time passes, it'll all come back around at some point because people will have their nostalgia for it, you know. Yeah. And I, I feel like, not to be one of those curmudgeons who harps on this or whatever, but I feel like we are in like a really, really intense period for nostalgia right now. I mean, like looking at the music festivals, it's just like emo nostalgia festival, 80s goth nostalgia festival, new metal nostalgia festival. Like, I feel like the market is so like, yeah. hey, remember all this stuff, you know? like It's so funny. Yeah, it's like, I see like listings of stuff and it's really wild. Um, it's like the big nostalgia acts from a different era of music, right? And then there's all these little tiny fucking niche, like micro uh, uh, micro niche bands, like 60 bands that I've never, that are, th there's no reason I would have, have, they would have come across my radar because they're so micro niched out to like people, you know? So I don't know, but I guess that's just, you know, the world changes around you and you know you're left scratching your head like what's going on but hey yeah <laughs> um speaking of ha have you come across that there is an edm artist called knapsack i believe i have seen you know if i'm like i'm like huh let me look at twitter and see if anything's cooking with this knapsack shit you know mm -hmm. and, I'm like, and then i see that there's like oh wait a minute there's some other knapsack thing so as, as far as that goes, I think I have seen something to that extent. Uh, yeah, I've seen it. Tell, tell me more. Oh, I, I don't know much. I just, I saw, um, I guess, I don't know if it's, I saw them on like a festival lineup or something. And I was like, oh, Knapsack's back again. And then like looked more into it. And it was like, no, it's some other artist. And they have like millions of plays on Spotify. Um, I just feel like, you know, in this era, like it's really risky. Because again, like if, like it's the same name on you know bands in town the same name on spotify or whatever it is like it's a if i was that person i would have googled it first but you know yeah. well, he, can, he, can, he can talk to our lawyer <laughs> that's what i'm going to tell him because we sent ourselves a letter back to ourselves in 1996 with the postage stamp with the u.s postal service that says our band name is knapsack and that's going to hold up in court and that guy's going to have to uh, fork over one cent per million views on Spotify. What does that add up to, Colby? Not much. All right. Well, he can have the name, maybe. If, but he's got <laughs> we need compensation. That's all I'm <laughs> Should like come to like a compromise where he's got to like sample like one of your there songs or something. We'll work it out. We'll yeah. figure. 
something mutually beneficial. Now, when you the first postal came, service have to license uh, such great heights to the U.S. Postal Service uh, for like a TV commercial as their uh, settlement in court. I think that's is that what happened? happened. I think that's something a thing. Maybe I remember something to discuss. There was some chitter chatter about something like that. I don't know. That's awesome. Um, now, when you came to reunite. Did you have any personal hangups about reunions in general? I know some artists are just kind of like, I don't want to taint the legacy. Uh, I, I was just like, I was like, uh, to me, I was like, dude, I, I, I only think we can do better because that was a rugged, that was rugged back in the day. It wasn't that fantastic. So I was like, I wasn't, um, you know, whatever. Like everybody talks shit about whatever they're going to do or not going to do, whatever. But everyone else, Everyone always does it. They all do it, no matter what. I don't care. You know, it's like, oh, I wouldn't or this or that. It's like, yes, you will. It's just give it a minute. You have, either you haven't gotten the right offer or whatever, but you're gonna you're gonna get your shit back together and you can go out there and play. Just like, come on, and you're gonna have fun, and the crowd's gonna love the songs because they love those songs. So, uh, you know, I would never. You know, who cares? You know. You know, yeah, but I think, I, yeah, but I didn't want to go out and be like, I didn't want to suck. You know, that mm -hmm. would be, you don't want to, you don't want to be like, you know, you got and plus the collectively, the world now, the, the bands in general, like, we know so much more than we did then about how to like, like, like properly do things as a band and get your shit together and be ready. And that sort of, there's so much more of that now. Everybody knows that you need to do that and you can't just, make these dumb mistakes that you did when originally, you know? I think everyone sort of got together and was like, let's let's be a little smarter about this. Like, how about we have festivals and bands can just fly in. We only need one drum set. Like, what, you know, who needs 17 drum sets? Uh, because 17 bands are going to play a festival. They all look about the same. A couple of Marshall half stacks, let's go. Like, why were we making this so hard <laughs> before? Yeah. It was, you know, it's not, you know, anyway. So yeah, I, I, I guess to answer your question, I think I know what your question was. Like some people are like, you know, poo-poo doing reunions or what have you. But you know, like I said, it's fun. And, uh, you know, people dig it, you dig it. Everyone's having fun. So what's the, who cares? Like, like yeah, who's left the Smiths that haven't done yeah, it? Like, he, needs, he, needs to, he needs to rain on everyone's parade. Let's just have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. So what's like what's Fugazi's problem? Like why won't oh, yeah, they reunite? Yeah, the other one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently they get together and which is this is like the most Fugazi thing ever, right? They get together and play um, just for the enjoyment of playing the music together, and the, and no one's there to see it. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I think you know, and but to be you know, to be fair, you know, there is a certain point maybe where you know. <laughs> I don't want to say like you know when enough time passes things can get a little geriatric you know if we're not, like, mm. so like that can change like then it's just sort of different experience if you're still within that window of like not being really ancient you know like I think uh, reunions can be you know all of a sudden everywhere you know you know like uh, it's like when you see a really old band like everyone's got like 
fucking sunglasses on, you know, five dudes and they've all got big sunglasses on, you know, it's an old ass band, you know, it's like, uh, and they got a lot of rock, rock accoutrements, you know, lots of, that's just, so, I don't know, a little out of touch, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, just cracking myself up. I'm just cracking myself up over here. I saw no. the psychedelic furs in the broad daylight and it was all the things you just described and I was still in hot heaven. Did you see? Psychedelic furs. Oh, I saw, I came back, I threw home from uh, South by Southwest. You know, it's so funny, you know, like people that have a lot of like rock accoutrements, like, like lots of jewelry and stuff and shit and like whatever, fucking top hat, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, who I saw, I saw, I saw Jello Biafra at the airport one time coming home and he had a bunch of shit on, like a stuff, signifiers. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blair, you, I guess Knapsack's not really active. Jello Sound's not active. Racket Club's not active. Do you have any yeah. sort of plans for writing songs, going on tours? Oh my goodness gracious. Maybe sometime, you know, I have to get my act together to do it. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's tough. You know, I mean, it just is, you know, and it's a big commitment to really start doing something, particularly a new project. Really, you know, you have to really, it will fizzle out if you're not really dug in to do it. You know what I mean? So I really have to like turn my brain on to really want to be doing something like that. And again, I'm getting older and the, you know, things are just changing. Um, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I aspire to to do something new. I haven't really, I started a little bit, you know, um, some things. Um, Racket Club had intended to do some more stuff. I said, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. So I sort of backed out. Um, but I talked about like getting back into doing, you know, working on some stuff. So we'll see. When you're home, do you just like, you know, pick up the acoustic guitar, see what comes out, or are you not really playing much even there? You know, I usually, again, it's fits and starts for me. I'll just be like, oh, I'm going to do this, and then I won't touch stuff for a long period of time. I tend to really, I tend to do more stuff once I have something in mind, right? Like once I start, like, hey, I'm going to do this, let's get into it, and then I work on it, rather than just sort of casually, intermittently doing it. And there's no rhyme or reason for why I do what I do when I do. So uh, it's always best. It's always best for me to have an artistic practice that's happening for me, but I don't always uh, uh, stick to it. Well, Blair Colby, thanks so much. This has been a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Take care. Have a good rest of your day. Hey, thanks again to Blair, Colby, and Sergi. Thanks for listening. Go pick up our exclusive color vinyl variants of those knapsack reissues at shop.brooklynvegan.com. We've also included the link below in the podcast episode description. Thank you. See you next time.